<laughs> well, amen. Uh, yeah, I think that was a great reminder. You know, you listen to the words of that song, and <clears throat> as uh, Michelle said, you know, sometimes it's not always like that. <laughs> you know, the word says, you know, may, may it not be so about us where, you know, blessing and cursing coming out of the same mouth. One moment we're praising and, and blessing the Lord for what he has done. And then the next minute we uh, we're not being, you know, uh, cognizant of what's coming out of our mouths. You know, we need to be, as the word says, quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to get angry. It's uh, it's funny. So <laughs> I'll share this little quick thing real quick, you know, with my kids now. So you guys know, uh, there's many times where the Lord shows me, you know, my, my, my wrath will never produce his righteousness as, you know, when I'm uh, disciplining my children and whatnot. And, uh, you know, the, the Holy Spirit came upon me the other day and was just like, be still. You know, for me to uh, not only to be still in the presence of God, but, you know, I'm, I'm coining this saying now <laughs> with my children. It's, Kalos, be still, son. And, and, and tears up, be still. And you're bouncing off the walls, jumping off the couches, about to run into the TV, knocking over lamps. And it's That's very. Job. <laughs> it is their job. And, 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 and I don't know if it's more so for me, for me to be calmer, but I've noticed that uh, the temperament is different. Now, obviously, there's, there's moments where, uh, you know, uh, a discipline needs to be administered in, in certain ways, but. It's definitely taken my stress level down a whole lot. <laughs> and using the Lord's word, you know, speaking truth into their lives, even, even on that microscopic level, something like that, two words. Well, what is that going to do? Be still. You know, but it, it's caught on. My son's like, oh, you're, 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 you're saying be still. What does that mean, Dad? What, what does it mean for me to be still? And it gives me the opportunity to share what that actually means and in the context of what they're doing, how they can be still before God and honor us as their parents. And so uh, that's just, it's just been a blessing. It's a great time of the year, right? Amen. This, it, uh, for us as believers in Christ, it's always like this, or at least it should be. And I was talking to uh, Lou just a second ago, and it's interesting that, you know, no matter how much Satan tries to mar the, the truth of what Christmas is, he can never take out the true meaning of Christmas, right? They sing it's a wonderful time of the year, but why is it a wonderful time of the year? Because the Savior has come, right? The Savior has come in the flesh, 100% God, 100% man, to, 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 to die a death and be that perfect sacrifice so that we that decide and recognize that we are not right, <laughs> that we can't make ourselves right, that we can't pay back the debt that's been done because of sin. But he says, no, I give you a, I, I give you a free pass. I, I, I take that debt and I pay it in full so you don't have to pay it. Well, we can never repay it. And that's why it's a wonderful, the most wonderful time of the year. Amen. Um, I'm excited to uh, announce that we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna finish off uh, the second half of that letter uh, last week. So we are in Revelation chapter 3. We'll be going through verses 4 and 6. I know it's only a couple verses. Uh, 4 through 6. Thank you, Daniel. 
but even with that, there's so much to unearth and unpack in uh, this portion of scripture. So uh, if you get there and you have, uh, you know, whether you got your paperback, old school Bible, or you got your phone, if you don't have either, we should have uh, the verses on the screen behind me. Revelation chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. Please stand if you're able to. And we'll go ahead and read uh, the word of God and then we'll go ahead and pray and we'll begin our message. All right. And so it says, Yet there are some in the church in Sardish who have not soiled their clothes with evil. They will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. All who are victorious will be clothed in white. I will never erase their names from the book of life, but I will announce before my Father and his angels that they are mine. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Let's go ahead and pray. Father God, Lord, once again, we, we come before you with, uh, with a deep reverence, Lord. We're, we're grateful that we can know you, Lord. Thank you for revealing your truth to us of who you are. Thank you for uh, the conviction, Lord, that falls upon our hearts, recognizing that we, apart from your son, Jesus Christ, we don't measure up to your standard. Lord, but thank you for your mercy and your grace. As that song says, uh, praise will be ever be on my lips just for the fact that you saved my soul. There's nothing else that I need, truly. Uh, it's just the fact we want to be in fellowship with you. Lord, may you speak to us through your word this morning. You say that that's how we'll know your will is by getting into your word. So, Lord, may we feast on your word this morning. May the Holy Spirit have complete, full range to do and say whatever he shall. May we be encouraged. May we be convicted. May we be whatever it is that you want to do, Lord. May it be done. And may we have hearts that are soft, fertile, ready to receive. Lord, I rebuke any kind of uh, thing that would cause us to not hear your word, be it pride, be it uh, anything, Lord. But may we just be ready to receive your word. Father, we thank you and love you. It's in Jesus Christ's precious name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So last week, we saw that Jesus had to approach the church of Sardis with a sobering reality. Last week's message was hard. You know, uh, you know how they say that the, 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 the cook eats best. So it's, it's like all week I'm stewing on this and I'm like, man, Lord, you heard me last week. I'm like, Lord, where, what's dead in me? Lord, show me where, where there's areas of my spiritual life that, that are cancerous, Lord, that need to be revived. And this is what was going on with the church. He, he had to tell them of their condition. He had to be honest with them. Though they were busy doing all kind of stuff, they had this ministry, that ministry, they were meeting midweek, you know, they, 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 they may have even been going out to, to orphans and widows and they were doing all the things that, that, that they're commanded to do, right? And so from the outside looking in, you'd be like, oh, you're, you're good. <laughs> you're good. You're doing all kind of stuff. But he said, even though they had a reputation for being alive, they were in fact spiritually dead. But the Lord, being full of mercy and grace and truth, also told them how they could be restored. Isn't that such a beautiful thing? Jesus never just leaves us like, oh, you're just done. <laughs> Look at you. That's what Satan does, right? That's what Satan does. He, he condemns us, right? 
maybe maybe you came in here this morning and, and you're fighting against condemnation. You, you're fighting these these memories that come back flooding back in your mind. That's the enemy. That's Satan. Because what Jesus Christ does is he convicts, but he also causes us to see the error in our ways. And then he has the solution. He is the solution. And he gives us the opportunity to receive him, to repent, have our minds changed and be right back and right standing with them in an instant. Right. It's a supernatural act that occurs. But conviction has to take place. And this is what was going on with the church there. He was telling them that they needed to repent. Right. And strengthen what remained. Now, we know that repentance is not something that the world is fond of, especially in our day and age. Even within the church, unfortunately, there are some churches that will not teach repentance. They want to teach all the, the nice, you know, icky, sticky, gooey stuff, you know, the soft stuff, the powdery stuff. But they don't want to teach uh, the reality that before we can get there with all the, the good feelings and the joy, we must be convicted. We must be uh, we must sense the need to repent. And even if we're not there, it's like pray for repentance. I've always said that. Pray for repentance. If you feel like, man, I'm just, there's nothing wrong with me. What should I repent for? Well, obviously that's pride one. Because <laughs> when the Lord gets a hold of you, he's going to show you all kinds of things where you, don't, where you don't measure up. But it's like, you know, pray for repentance. Repentance is, is, a, is a beautiful thing, right? It's unfortunate that it's taken on a negative connotation even within the church because that's an expression of God's grace and his mercy that he's even allowing us to repent. I mean, I would hate to have lived in Noah's day and it'd been like, well, you're just done. <laughs> the flood's coming. It's too late. You know, you're a sinner. You're lost in your sin. I'm not giving you a chance to turn. And that's it. But, but what does the Lord do? He created the rainbow saying, the, the, you know, the bow is pointed upward. I mean, I'm never going to, you know, annihilate the earth like that again. And, and I'm going to let the earth repopulate itself through righteous, uh, or through a righteous family. And, and, and here we are today. So it's super important that we remember uh, for us as a church, us as individual Christians, that we need to constantly live a lifestyle of repentance and, and strengthen what remains. Maybe you're in here and it's tough. It's been a tough go of it. And maybe the last few years, I mean, we're, we're still in this pandemic. I, I, haven't, I haven't heard them say it's the endemic yet, or whatever it, it is. But, you know, we're still over here having to wear a mask and doing all. And maybe, you know, maybe it's been very, a very difficult last two years, year and a half for you. Strengthen what remains. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ no matter what. Amen. This is where our strength and he is our strong tower and our mighty fortress. Today we will... Learn about the message that Jesus Christ has for those who have held fast to him, right? And haven't got sucked into a lifestyle of idolatry. And for the church of Sardis here in context, they were uh, those who did not involve themselves in that and didn't involve themselves in sexual immorality within the church, right? But this should also be encouraging news for us today because, I mean, all you have to do is look around. You see the area we live in. We live in the most liberal state in America, we live in the most liberal area of the state. You know, uh, I mean, maybe you can go back and forth with us in L.A., but, you know, we have uh, uh, so much going on in the Bay Area where there's such a, a, a demonic stronghold on people and, and people don't want to see the truth of Jesus Christ. But uh, it, it's up to true believers uh, filled by the Holy Spirit to, to do what he says and go where he tells us to go and, and, and just love on people and, and be the church. Amen. And so this should be encouraging for us today. If, if 
You sense all the, 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 the negativity around you, but you're holding fast to Jesus Christ. Continue to stand on the rock of Christ. Amen? It's so important. Sometimes just standing is, is such a big deal. Okay, we have several main points this morning. And the first one is this. I love this message because this, this, this message is really uplifting compared to the last half, uh, the first half of the letter. Uh, the first point is this. It is possible to live the Christian life without being overcome by evil. It is possible. It, it truly is to live a righteous life in Jesus Christ. I know that it, it may not seem like that all the time. I know my wife, I'll share this just because I, I do believe uh, it is relevant. Um, and I'm not throwing shade. It is what it is. If, if it wasn't true, it shouldn't have been put out there. But, you know, uh, you know, Joel Osteen. Um, and I guess there was someone that was doing some tile work or some cleaning. And uh, all of a sudden they, they peel back a tile or something and all kind of uh, money appeared. Uh, a cash money and checks. And it was uh, in the same amount of money that several years back was uh, said to be stolen from the church. That's all I got to say. That's all I got to say. Shouldn't be so should not be so within the church. We shouldn't be, we shouldn't have our hands dirty like that. What are we doing? What are we doing? And we're claiming to, to, to bring the gospel to people. That's not what we should be doing. But even though you see things like that, you're like, man, that's crazy. What is he doing? <laughs> what are these people doing? It is possible to live this Christian life without being overcome by evil. You see, our text today begins with Jesus Christ telling us that there were some within the church of Sardis that had not soiled their clothes with evil. You see, many times we have poor examples of what it is to be a real Christian. That is, if we t- we've taken our focus off Jesus Christ. If we have our focus on Christ then we always have the great example of who to, how to be and who to be like, to emulate Jesus in all we do. Being in the word, we'll get that. But, but many times we have poor examples of what a real Christian should look like. And many non-believers are easily turned off when they hear of scandal within the church. What I just mentioned about Mr. Olstein, a non-believer would hear that and say, you see, this is exactly why I don't go to church. Because all they're going to do is ask for my money, steal my money. They don't, this man living in a mansion, this man not helping anybody. But again, when our perspective is wrong and we're looking at the wrong thing, whenever we look at man, you know, we're going to be let down. Even your favorite pastor or whatever, don't look at him. You better be seeking what is the Holy Spirit saying through that vessel? Because that's what the important thing is. It's not about the person. We're all flawed. Look at Moses. As righteous as Moses was, he got mad. Oh, man, these people, they complain so much. Uh, I'm going to strike the rock. <laughs> Striking that rock made it so Moses couldn't even enter the promised land. And then Joshua preceded him. And, and on and on we go. But, but we see it in Scripture. Keep our focus on Christ, not on man. You see, I get where these non-believers are with what they see, and I can't blame them in the state of ignorance in the sense of they, they just don't get it yet. They don't understand. But for us as the church, if, if we are supposed to be set apart from the world and sanctified, as the Bible says we are to be, then we need to be that, right? We need to be that church. There should be, and I've been saying it, there should be a definite line of demarcation between us and the world. 
in the world, not of the world. You know, maybe, and I'm not getting legalistic because it, it may not necessarily be the way you dress. Everyone has their own style. You know, some people look at me and be like, there's no way this dude should be the pastor. This fool's tatted up. <laughs> he wears jeans to church, wears a hoodie, does not, you know, come suited and booted like, you know, old school cats. But, but it's the condition of our hearts. What, what, what comes along with our actions? What's driving what we're doing? Are we those that are meek, that are gentle, that are kind, that are loving, that are compassionate? Or do we come off as callous and cold and bitter and prideful, right? And so we, 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 need, we need to be separate from the world in that sense, that we need to emulate Christ. And we can only emulate Christ by, again, conviction occurring, repentance occurring, being filled with the Holy Spirit, being baptized in the Holy Spirit, then continually being filled with Him, living every day uh, with Christ on our mind and what's God's will for us. Amen. You see, when we, when we invest our energies and emotions solely into a person, we're, le- we're going to be let down. It, it doesn't have to be any kind of besetting sin, but it's just the fact that our, our, our devotion and attention should be given to Jesus Christ alone. And so many times people become infatuated and enthralled by the charisma of this person and this character. You know, um, the one thing is like, you know, when, 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 when churchgoers continue to talk about the pastor, I feel like you've missed it. You missed it. It should be talking about Jesus. What is Jesus doing? Or coin it a certain way. You see, that's where our language is so important in how we word things. Well, the Lord did this through. Now, that's a whole lot different than, oh, yeah, the pastor, so-and-so. You know, it's like, no, it's what the Lord did through that person. What the Lord did through that man. What the Lord did through that woman who was running the Sunday school, whatever. Um, But you see, anytime our attention is divided and we're not giving Jesus the adoration and and the love and the praise and the respect that he alone deserves, we're committing idolatry. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 tells us this clearly. No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. I know in that context that verse is talking about God and money, but it's the same thing. It's whatever is, whatever affection is taking hold of you to where it's stripping you from Jesus and you become divided in that. Then we're committing idolatry. We don't want to be that way. You see, but the encouragement is if you and I give Jesus Christ the attention and the priority in his life, in our lives that he deserves, then we can live righteously with him. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3 tells us, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. That's a beautiful thing. Oh my goodness. You know, first fruits, and I'm not talking monetarily. I'm talking about, this is something that, 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 that I preach in my household. First fruits of our time. What are we doing when we get up in the morning? You guys know I'm a big sports guy. You know I, I enjoy football and this and that, and this is a great season for football. You got college football on Saturdays. You got small schools playing throughout the week. Then you got NFL on Sunday. But it's like, Where's my heart? What am I thinking about when I get up? Am I thinking about the Niners? Am I so concerned about, I got to get that dip ready. (laughs) That meat got to sit and marinate for three and a half hours in order for it to be good. No, you know, and and I'm telling you, honestly, this is where I'm at. My, My thought process is, thank you, Lord, for giving me breath in my lungs, falling to my knees when I get out of bed and praising him and asking him to forgive me of my sins 
and cleanse me of my unrighteousness and create a path for me for today, whatever that may be, and help me to walk in it. You know, the, 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 these are the things that need to be so. They're the first fruits of our time. It goes a long way. And again, it's not being legalistic. It's not some ritual. It, 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 is, it is, this has become a lifestyle because I recognize, you recognize what Christ has done for you. And it's just, again, like that song. Well, that's why praise is ever going to be on my lips because I recognize the depth of my depravity and I don't want to die in my sin and be apart from God uh, in eternity forever. I don't want to be in the bottomless pit where there's gnashing and welling of teeth and I'm going to be regretting every second that I did not accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. You see, that's how simple it is and that's how simply some will go, unfortunately. Because they're resting in money, they're resting in fortune, they're resting in, uh, you know, whatever. They're, they're God-given abilities, but they don't give praise and honor to God. And so they don't seek Him out. They don't think there's anything wrong with them. And that's why this is a great time of the year to witness to people. You know, to tell people the beauty of Christ coming to earth to be that perfect sacrifice for all of mankind. It's just a beautiful thing. All right, the second main point is this. Those who walk with Jesus Christ are worthy because Jesus deems them to be worthy. This is such a liberating reality, saints, because the fact is, it is Jesus alone who makes us worthy because of himself. He takes away any need for us to have a feeling like we need to strive to be accepted. You get it? Because if you think about it, Many of us have grown up, right, our upbringing. We've grown up in situations where our acceptance was based on performance. Performance-based. That is, that is so degenerating to a child to, to, to love them based on how they perform solely on them. It's not good. Like, if, if, if you got good grades or if you scored the winning touchdown, you were shown love. Oh, man, you did great. I mean, you got all those A's. Oh, you know, you got some good stuff coming, son or daughter. Or you, you scored that touchdown. Way to go, Tiger. Way to go, champ. But if you didn't get that 4.0 or you threw uh, the game-losing interception, got ran back for a touchdown, you're shunned. Or you're given the cold shoulder. You know, I get it. I, I, I wouldn't be too happy in the moment. But, you know, I'm talking about a, a disregard for the well-being of the person. And I'm not saying lift them up and say, oh, you're still a champ, you're still a superstar. There's a big difference between that and, you know, real love. But the fact that love that's based on performance only. You see, Jesus Christ is nothing like this. He fully accepts all who will humble themselves and come to him. Not all cleaned up without issues, right? But broken down and full of problems. Oh man, I'm a hot mess, Lord. Help me, save me. If you're real, save my soul. Come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my God. And show me what my life is supposed to look like. I'm talking about that. That real, raw, humble humility that you have when you know ain't nothing else worked. <laughs> you're like, Lord, if you're real, make yourself manifest to me. Make yourself real. I mean, those, those kind of prayers where you don't got time to be getting on your knees. <laughs> you're just crying out. Your soul's in anguish. And you're just like, Lord, help. You see, if anyone comes to Jesus Christ with a humble heart and desires to be saved, he will walk with them. I mean, that's, that's mind-blowing, people. 
And that's a personal thing. That's not something that some pastor can do for you. No prayer group. That's between you and God alone. In your heart of hearts, you crying out to him. You know, because you can't fake it when it's just you and God. When we hear, we put our best foot forward, whatever, but not when you're alone. Revelation chapter 3 verse 20 tells us, Behold, and this is speaking of Jesus Christ, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. He's going to call you friend. He's going to dine with you. You're going to have communion, a common union with Jesus Christ because you've humbled yourself. You've accepted him as as the only one who can rectify your wrong situation, my wrong situation. You see, it is by Christ alone that we are made worthy, not anything we do. I'm sharing these verses because I think they're important to point out that it's not me, my thinking, but it's from the word of God. Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you cannot take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. Oh, that's crazy. I've told you guys before, you know, uh, many of you know, I I work in a special needs private school. (laughs) And over the years, I've heard all kind of things. Oh, I've earned my wings. What are you guys talking about? You think because you work with special needs people that you're going to be right with God? You're going to go to heaven based on that? Oh, that's not it's not it's not good. (laughs) It's not good at all. If anything, your changed heart. Now you're doing good things because of the outpouring of what's been done for you. But it's you know, it's not work based. That's not the Christian life. That's every other religion. That's every other deity that you have to work, strive, earn. (laughs) Go up these rungs. Go up the ladder. And Jesus is like, nah, man, I'm I'm stretching my my righteous hand down to you in the pigsty and pulling you out. We can't even. It's like we're in quicksand. And the more we move and the more we run, we become we sink quicker and quicker. So it's not about that it's about resting in him what does the bible say take his yoke upon you right because us we're just bogged down by the stresses of life by the by the things that are that easily encompass us that beset us but jesus says no take my yoke upon you and it'll be light it'll be better it's a beautiful thing it's a great thing and the third main point is this all true believers have the assurance of their names that they will never be erased from the book of life You see, the book of life is the set of names of those who will live with God forever in heaven. This is the role that we get to have as saved people. We know that our names are in this book. One may ask, well, well, how how can I be sure that, that my name is written in the book of life to be sure that I'm saved? Well, it's as simple as this. Repent of your sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. And then work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I didn't say work for your salvation because salvation is a gift, but you work out your salvation with fear and trembling, like how you work out. You know, I don't know if there's many people in here that like fitness and, you know, you're, you're walking all the time or you're lifting weights or you're doing push-ups or whatever you're doing, but you're exercising that muscle. Or maybe you're an intellectual and you're, you read a lot. You're exercising that brain and, and you're stimulating your senses. In the same way, spiritually, we are supposed to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Fear and trembling has to do with a humble reverence for God. 
understanding that, man, I don't want to taste hellfire. I don't want to drag anyone down to hell because I'll be like someone that needs to have a millstone tied around their neck and thrown in there. That's not good, right? And so that, that's that reverent respect for God. And you work out your spiritual muscles in him. Once your name is written in the book of life, it's never going to be erased. No true believer should ever doubt their eternal security in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 37 down through 39. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loves us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from the love of God. I'll say it for you. Hallelujah. Amen. No power in the sky above nor in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a word for somebody here today. That's a word for somebody here today. Maybe that's all you came for. But the Lord has that for you. Don't be tripping off the things in this world. It's all going to work out. It's all going to work out. All right. Revelation chapter 3, verse 4. Excuse me. It says, yet there are some in the church in Sardis. Excuse me. Sardish. (laughs) Sardis. Yeah, you know, I always bumble that. Who have yet soiled their clothes with evil. They will walk with me in white for they are worthy. Okay, so even among the dead Christians in this church, there were a faithful remnant. There were a faithful remnant. Um, In Pergamos, Revelation chapter 2, verse 14, and in Thyatira, Revelation chapter 2, verse 20, there were a few bad among the good. Here in this church, in Sardis, there were a few good among the bad. (laughs) But he goes on and says, yet even here, even shows that in some ways it was remarkable that there were a few names still faithful to the Lord. But it may have been remarkable because of the city's notorious immorality, right? Um, even in this wicked city, some among the Christians had not defiled themselves by joining in this sin of idolatry and sexual immorality. The application is this. No matter what goes on in our modern day culture, there will always be a true remnant of the authentic body of Christ. You look at the landscape of America today, all the backbiting, all the hate, all the racism, all the drama within politics, all the drama within different corporations and, and, and economics and all these different things. It's, it's, it's very easy to grow a callous heart and be embittered by the things that you see and be very frustrated and angry. But we must hold true to Christ and understand we want to be grafted in as that remnant We want to be part of that true remnant, the true church. Romans chapter 11, verse 5 tells us, Even so, then at this present time, also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. It's a beautiful thing. Again, we see even in this verse, uh, we see being a a part that's set apart, a remnant has everything to do with what Jesus Christ did and nothing to do with what we could do. It's all about... Uh, the election of grace, right? This is also why it's important for us as non-Jews, if we're not Jewish, if we don't have a Jewish heritage, and we're Gentiles, to be praying constantly for Israel, for the people of Israel, for the true Jewish people, right? 
Because if you think about it, that verse, uh, Romans 11, uh, verse 5, it's in the context of uh, the Jews rejected the salvation that was offered through the Messiah. And so, uh, you know, God in his infinite wisdom went to the Gentiles and said, well, I'm going to offer it to the Gentiles. And, you know, uh, hopefully God's thought process, if you, if you go back to, to these, these scriptures, he's basically saying his hope is that the Jewish people would be jealous of the fact that these Gentiles who are less than dogs have been receiving the gift of salvation that the Jews thought, man, pfft, you guys don't deserve. You guys, you guys, are, you guys are scum. You guys are half-breeds. You're not right. You know, you're like a Samaritan. You're not a full-blooded Jew. You're a Gentile. But God's like, I'm going to give to these people because they're willing to receive me. Right. And so from, 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 from our perspective, it's like, well, if, if the Jews didn't, didn't reject Christ, who knows what would have happened? I, I know what the scripture says about, you know, uh, all, all people from all nations. But what I'm saying is there, in God's infinite wisdom, he allowed all these things to transpire because it all worked out in his plan for the redemption of mankind. Amen. And that's a beautiful thing. You see, in the Lord bringing salvation to the Gentiles, it was done again to arouse jealousy within the Jews that they would turn back, that they would turn back to him. And so we want to be praying for Israel. We want to be praying for our Jewish brothers and sisters who are still in the state of rejecting Christ. They don't, they don't acknowledge him as the Messiah. One day they will. One day they will. Next, it goes on to say, those who have not defiled their garments. You see, Jesus referred to defiling garments because of the heathen worship of that day. So, you know, the pagan gods, they could not be approached with dirty clothes. That was kind of the ritual back in the ancient world. This illustration works for the worship of Jesus because he gives his people white garments. They're not soiled. They're not dirty. They're not muddied up. You know, like sometimes I don't know if you have the tradition of, you know, Thanksgiving, you have the, the a turkey bowl game and, you, you know, a bunch of family gets together. And you guys play football outside and, you know, people getting banged up, people getting, you know, uh, twisted wrists and broken legs and people are the clothes are all dirty well jesus is talking about no well your clothes aren't dirty spiritually anymore when we accept him he gives us garments that are clean that are white you see as sin is expressed under the idea of nakedness so holiness is expressed with the idea of a garment and then he goes on to say speaking of jesus they they shall walk with him in white jesus also promised that these pure ones would walk with him. This picture of close fellowship with him, we see it in Enoch, right? Oh man, Enoch, he's the homie. Enoch walked with God and he was with God and then he left. The Lord took him. Genesis chapter 5 verses 23 and 24 says, Enoch lived 365 years walking in close fellowship with God. Then one day he disappeared because God took him. He didn't even see death. What? You know, I'm a big baby. I'm like, I'm like, Lord, take me in my sleep. <laughs> I don't want to feel no pain. I don't want to feel no, nothing crazy. Just, just make it easy. Slow and steady real quick. Lord, take me. Enoch, he just got that. Boom, he's gone. Be with the Lord. You know, that's a beautiful thing. You know, going back to these garments, of course, the, the, the garments that Jesus is going to refer to that he gives, right? They're always white. Right? They're always white. Now, this church, it was dead because of sinful compromise. They needed to receive 
and walk in the purity of this white garment that Jesus gives. White also is the color of triumph uh, to the Romans in that culture right back then. That's what white represented. So the white garment spoke of the believer's ultimate triumph in Jesus Christ. See, Jesus was great at really adhering to his audience. He knew how to relate to these people. That's all why he, all of his parables had to do with the land and farming and this and that because Jesus knew how he could approach these people to really get them to understand the pictures that he was trying to create. And that's why, that's the danger of you know, us nowadays when we don't read the Bible in context, we can make the Bible say whatever we want. And people will take a portion of scripture and say, oh, Jesus said uh, you know, to hate your mother and hate your father. So uh, what's going on? It's a contradiction. The Bible is false. But as they don't understand the context of that is, what does he mean? Jesus means your mother and your father, as much as you love them, they should never come before Jesus Christ. Your ultimate authority and allegiance should be to him because he's a God of order and operation, right? Perfect order, perfect operation. So, of course, love your parents dearly. Admonish them. But Christ should be the only one sitting on the throne of your heart. You know, because sometimes family becomes an idol. You know, oh, little cute Susie. Yeah, she's a little bundle of sin. You need to be praying for that little cute baby, right? And dedicate her, you know? Because it's, it's real. It's too real. Okay, he goes on, he says, walk with me. Walk with me. This is the greatest reward Jesus can give to any of his followers. You see, these Christians here in Sardis, I'm, I'm going to butcher that name the rest of this mess. Yeah, I don't even have a list, but I'm with Sardis, Sardine. I'm the, yeah, it's, it's a mess. He, he, he said not to simply compromise themselves they would be rewarded with a closer, more intimate walk with Jesus. You see, this reward is ultimately a better motivation than fear or punishment or ruin from sin. The pure can have great intimacy with Jesus Christ, not because they have earned it, but because they are simply more interested in the things of God after that conviction has initially happened. You see, God promises to reward that interest. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8 tells us, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Man, how beautiful is that? How powerful is that, right? When we get our motives right, and we're like, Lord, I don't want the stuff. I don't care about the stuff. Just give me more of you. Help me to, what does it really look like to be a real Christian? What does it really look like to live out my faith? And not just say, oh, brother, be well, but do something about it if I have the ability and I have the means to. Right. When our motives are right. He says, you're going to see God. That's like Solomon. Solomon's like, I just need wisdom. (laughs) Just give me wisdom. Give me godly wisdom. Give me the ability to discern right from wrong. Create and build a stronghold of righteousness in my mind so I can fend off the attacks of the enemy. And what happened? God blessed him beyond beyond what he needed or deserved. And I'm not, talk, I'm not saying it's about stuff. And that's not some formulaic way of trying to get things. Because God is not a genie to be rubbed some kind of way and think all of a sudden he's going to give you something that you want. But it's when your heart, when my heart, when the motive is right. And he gives, pressed down, shaking together, ooh, boiling over in an over in abundance. Why? So you can now give to others. Not so you can hoard it, Right? So you can be a good giver, a cheerful giver. 
Maybe it's not things he's giving, but maybe he's giving you wisdom and you can share that, impart that wisdom to people. That's a beautiful thing. You'll be rewarded in heaven. I'd rather take my reward in heaven than down here where it's going to perish and rot anyways. And, you know, what do they say? You can't take a U-Haul with you in the grave. So what's the stuff anyways? Enjoy it, but don't live for it. All right. Revelation 3, verse 5. He goes on speaking of Jesus and says, All who are victorious will be clothed in white. I will never erase their names from the book of life. But I will announce before my Father and his angels that they are mine. Wow, what a promise. I mean, it's just, just stew on that for a little bit. Again, he who overcomes the white garments. He identifies the overcomers with those few names who have not defiled their garments. These overcomers, again, wear white garments received from Jesus The difference between the dead majority with imperfect works, right? But they had a good reputation. So I'm doing all kinds of stuff. (laughs) People think I'm great because, well, hey, don't you know, uh, you know, Johnny Boy's over there. He's feeding the homeless. He's, you know, raising money for this campaign, this campaign. He's, you know, he's out there coaching the Little League. He's he's just doing all kinds of stuff. Oh, man. The difference between that and the few names who please God. Maybe they didn't have this reputation, but they pleased God because their motives were right. And they weren't seeking the praise or the response or the adoration of people, but they were quietly serving the Lord. The difference was purity and the closeness with Jesus that always relates to purity. They were pure in the sense that their motives were right. You know, the Bible talks about the Pharisees that they stood on the street corners and they prayed, oh, so loud, and everybody could see me. And Jesus said, all the the reward they're going to get is what the people see them doing. So that's not what, that's not what I want. That's not what God wants. You know, I I heard a message uh, the other day, and it it was really poignant. And the pastor was speaking about, man, the churches that always talk about bad stuff, and I get it. Sin has its rightful place. We need to talk about sin. We need to teach about sin. We need to teach about repentance. But where's the good news? We need to teach about the good news. Preach about the good news and, you know, uplift the people of God. And he was talking about how, you know, uh, you know, people that go out and they know they all oh, it's a gay parade. And, you know, I'll make a sign. <laughs> You're going to hell. Now, if you're going to make a sign, why don't you go out there and make a sign that says, Jesus Christ saves souls. You know, the good news. How can people turn from deadness to life if they don't even know what the good news is? And too many times we're condemning people when it's like, well, okay, what does the Bible say? Planking, <laughs> a planking in, in, in my eye and specking my brothers. It's like, who are we? Who are we to do that? And it's just interesting because, again, We see this. Where's the heart? Where's the motive? What is our motive for why we're telling people what we're telling them? Because we dare not judge anybody with the final judgment. We are supposed to make judgment calls every day. I'm not saying that. But a final judgment as far as where someone's going to spend eternity, we should never sit in the place of God's authority thinking that we can do that and speak that into people's lives. That's not what Jesus would have done. That's not what he tells us to do in the word. 
You see, the deadness and spiritual facade of most of the Christians in this church were related to their impure living. They emb- their embrace of impurity and sin of the world around them. They were okay with it. They were living a double life. They said, yes, I, I praise Jesus on Sunday, but Saturday I was in the club <laughs> dropping it like it's hot. And throughout the week I'm doing all kinds of things I'm not supposed to be doing as a Christian. It's hard to say if the deadness came before the impurity or the impurity came before the deadness, but they were surely related. And again, what does the Bible say? We will know people by their fruit. There should be fruit. There should be spiritual fruit from the branches of your spiritual lives. It should not be decaying, rotting fruit that's fermenting. (laughs) It should be ripe. It should be sweet. It should be sweet to the taste. The application is this. If we come into agreement with Jesus Christ and build strongholds of righteousness up within our minds by saturating ourselves in him and his word daily, we will walk closely with him. That's how you do it. That's how you do it. And I'm not talking about work based, but I'm saying you want to know God's will for your life. Get in the word. If you're not in the word, if you don't have the discernment to understand through the Holy Spirit what the word says, if you are not hiding God's word in your heart and in your mind, then what are you going to do when temptation comes knocking? You have nothing to gauge truth from falsehood. And that's why people fall all the time for Satan's ploys, because they don't have the word in them. You and I should have the word ingrained in us. Not so you can run around with a spiritual fathead and start naming off scriptures at people because that's Pharisaic. But what I'm saying is you're understanding the word and you're hiding it in your heart for you. That's your spiritual ammunition so you can fend off these attacks from the enemy. So you can say, you know what, that's falsehood. I do not agree with that. I will not line myself up with that and you'll be protected. That's really how it works. But if we don't saturate ourselves with the word of God, the Bible's boring. Really? You have not taken the time to really read the word of God. It's the best drama ever. You want drama? Get up in that word. I mean, there's stuff in there that I'm like, what, Lord? Who did what? What? How did they do that? Are you serious? It's like, ain't nothing new under the sun. That's an amen for some of y'all. So you're not tripping off of things that have gone on. Like, again, like I said, the condemnation that comes, the enemy trying to, you know, mess you up. It's like, no, there's been some crazy stuff pop off way back in the day, man. It's no joke. Hollywood's got nothing on the Bible. (laughs) Really don't. All right. Jesus explained the absolute necessity of, of this being clothed by God with his garments of purity and righteousness in his parable of the wedding feast. You can read about that in Matthew chapter 22. That's verses 11 down through 14. Real righteousness is receiving God's covering instead of trying to cover ourselves. The reality is we must come to Jesus Christ honestly. You see, folks, saints, we just said we got to be honest. We just got to be honest. If you're honest God has mercy and grace for you. He really does. But when we try to hide like Adam and Eve, you know, the fig leaf and oh, I know God. (laughs) He's like, well, I can't work with you. I can't work with you while you're hiding, while you're trying to cover up. You're so liberated. I'm so liberated when I'm honest. I had a situation, I won't go into it, but I had a situation with my son on Thursday before our, our men's prayer group and 
you know, I, I, you know, I lost my cool a little bit. And, 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 you know, I couldn't go into that prayer group without talking to the men about it. And I had to be honest. I had to be candid about where I was at. And, you know, ended up, and everything ended up being good. You know, me and my son, you know, I talked to my wife about it. We're all, we're all on the same page. It was nothing crazy. It was just, you know, my son was acting up. And you know what? Had to grab him up. <laughs> had to snatch him up by his shirt. Say, son, stop. I done told you several times, get out of there. And then there was no be still enough. <laughs> In that moment, it was more of a snatching up. But, you know, the reality was I felt so liberated and free. First, I went before the Lord with it. And then there was no way I could conduct myself in that men's group without talking about it. Because I had to, I had to, get, it, I had to get it off. Right? I had to be honest. And what would happen? All these men prayed for me. Nobody judged me. They said, oh, we get it. This is what this group's about. We come honest. We come real about where we're at. We don't fake it and be like, well, yeah, it's just been peaches and roses this week. It's like, no, dude, this week sucked. It's hard. It's been difficult. I got issues. (laughs) And then there's mercy and there's grace. It's the same thing with the Lord. It's the same thing with the Lord. He goes on, Jesus, to say, you know, those who are walking with him, garments of white, I will not blot out his name or her name, right? From the book of life. By this, the overcomers were assured of their heavenly citizenship. In the ancient world, death or a criminal conviction could blot the name of a person out of the city books of living. They basically be like, you're done. <laughs> you're done. You're, you're, you're literally excommunicated from forever being existing in our history books. We have no recollection of who you are. Jesus is basically saying that if we as true believers wish to remain on the role of citizens of heaven, we must keep our faith flamely alive. And then that goes back to that whole idea of working out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's not just, oh, I got saved and I ain't done nothing for 25 years. What is that? That's not a real faith. A faith should be accompanied by works. Works don't save you, but works are a byproduct of a changed heart in Jesus Christ. It just, it has, it is what it is, folks. That's what the Bible says. And so we need to take a close look at our lives and say, where is the fruit? Where is the spiritual fruit in my life? I've talked about this many times. There should be someone pouring into you and you should in turn be pouring into someone else. That's how it works. It's the cycle, not cycle of life. (laughs) Not like the Lion King. But it's, the, it's, the, it's, it, it, it's, this, it's this biblical cycle of Christian living. You're poured into. You pour into other people. Oh, man, you're so blessed. How blessed are you when you give of yourself to others? You're blessed beyond imagine. You have peace. You have joy. You have tranquility. You're not stressed out. You can deal with the difficulties of life when they come up. But, but, but for the most part, you're even killed. You're not just all over the place erratic right as christians we shouldn't be like that there should come a time when maturity starts to set in and and we become to have that steady walk with the lord and it permeates every area of our lives it really should be that way it's a beautiful thing when you see it you know you look back and you're like man lord okay that's cool i am growing i am maturing I am a different person. I'm not the same person I was 10 years ago. I'm not the same person I was five years ago. You know, you see the maturity take place. Okay. 
Now we come to this. Some, some Christians, this is a controversial thing to talk about, but blotting out the name of someone in the, from the book of life. Does this mean that someone can lose their salvation? That someone is saved one day, their name is in the book of life, and another day they've fallen away and their name has been blotted out from the book of life? Well, we need to really look at this in context of what Revelation chapter 3, verse 5 is saying. The focus is assurance. It's not about blotting out. That's the focus is the assurance, right? So we should not think that names are being constantly erased and then rewritten. It's not like a teacher on a blackboard, you know. <laughs> Timmy, you're, you're done for the day. You're in detention. You're gone. Susie, you're out of here. It is, no, it's not that. The focus here is not the idea that Jesus sits in heaven with a busy eraser, but at the same time, we should carefully consider what the word has to say about the book of life. We should. We, we need to take it serious. There is a book of life and it will be opened and it will be referenced on the day of judgment. That means that the book of life is real and it will be read. Revelation chapter 20 verse 12 says, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. You see, this book determines if people will go to heaven or hell. It means that the book of life is relevant and important. Revelation chapter 20 verse 15 tells us, Anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Knowing our names are written in the book of life should bring us great joy. It should bring you great joy and great peace and great confidence in Christ. Luke chapter 10 verse 20 tells us, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that spirits are, sh- are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven again see it's not about works it's not about the things we do it's about having relationship with jesus that should be the main focus that drives you in your christian life it's just your relationship with god the relationship with jesus and from that relationship everything else flows and and the works just become a, a supernatural byproduct of your life with christ but it's never the focus And you're not judging yourself based on, I did this, I didn't do that. You know, I have a thing with my kids where before I take them to their grandmothers in the morning, we we go through a Bible verse, you know, with the Bible app. And we got the video and it makes it super easy to do. But you know what? Days are hectic. And some mornings we don't get to it. But that doesn't mean that I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing as a godly father. But, you know, the enemy will try to creep in real quick and be like, you see? You didn't didn't get the word in them this morning. Though I pray for them by myself in my prayer closet, but still. You know, it's not about, oh, I did this. I didn't do that. It's about resting in Christ. Amen. That's what it's about. It may only be a symbol that a person's name was never there to begin with this whole blotting out. Even in that, the case is the Lord still wants us to take it seriously because there are some who even by human appearance seem to be saved, yet they will not go to heaven. Um, Moses said to the Lord, yet now. If you will forgive their sins, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book, which you have written. That's in Exodus chapter 32, verse 32. There's another reference. And the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. That's Exodus chapter 32, verse 33. Again, let them be blotted out of the book of living and not be written with the righteous. That's Psalm 69, verse 28. 
He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Revelation 3, 5. You guys get it, right? I don't, I don't know if I need to use all these references, but uh, it is true. I will share this, this story of this man from uh, years past, Charles Templeton. Some of you guys probably know who this man is. He was deeply, uh, deeply devoted, and he was involved in the foundations of the youth for Christ. He impacted the nation for Jesus. Many people received Jesus Christ at this man's meetings, and Templeton was an associate with Billy Graham in the early years. Eventually, unfortunately, this man renounced his belief in Jesus. He even renounced his belief in God and said he was an atheist. Charles Templeton totally renounced his early confessions of faith and wanted to rescue people he once brought to Jesus Christ. So you look at this. Obviously, this man in his present apostate state was not going to heaven, nor did he want to go. At the time, by all, by all excuse me, human appearances, he seemed saved, right? But he didn't honor the warnings of the Bible to, that tells us to keep walking and keep trusting and keep preserving our faith. This is a very sad thing. We don't ever want to be in that place where we are once knowing the truth and then we reject it. Jesus goes on and says, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. This was an amazing promise. It simply makes sense that we should be willing to confess the name of Jesus. But it is amazing that he would not be ashamed to confess us. That's a beautiful thing. It is important for us to accept Christ, but it is far more important to know if Jesus accepts us. And as the worship team comes up, I'll end with the last verse, verse 6. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. We all must hear what the Spirit is saying, folks. You see, it's easy to drift off in sleepy apathy towards spiritual death, especially when we have a good reputation. Oh, yeah, you're good. Oh, yeah, all them folks down there at Resilient Life, they're legit. They're good. <laughs> you know, we start tuning our own horns. You start buying into what people are saying. Still, there's always a hope for the dead church because Jesus knows how to raise the dead. Again, what is the Spirit saying to the church? This, this church, this dying church of Sardis, teaches us that we must be aware of our success. The city was wealthy and kept with easy living, but it made them soft and spoiled. It also, this, this city and this church also teaches us that we need to be watchful at our strongest points. Remember the, the strong walls, the cliff walls. They thought they, they, they were impenetrable. And they didn't even have the soldiers guarding the walls. And little did they know that pride left them down a bad road. They thought they were unconquerable and then they were conquered. When we say, I will never do that, that is the exact place where we must guard against. I'll never do that. I'll never be that person. I'll never murder somebody. I'll never cheat on my wife. You better guard against that. Lest we have to eat our own words. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you for just your mercy and your grace, Lord. It comes down every day, and we're so grateful for it. <laughs> we can't live without it, Lord. We need you in our midst all the time. And we thank you for your, your word that's so powerful, sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. It cuts to the heart of the, the situation and the circumstance. As your word has gone out, Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts, Lord, that you would bring to surface the things that we need to get rid of, that we need to repent of, that we need to ask you for forgiveness. 
Lord, would you show us areas that you want to strengthen, that we're doing good in? And Lord, when we take this communion, Lord, may we, may we consider what's been done for us. May we not just go haphazardly to that table and just take that cracker and that juice and just eat it and, and sip it down. But may we ponder what's going on with us and how you want to work in our hearts. Father, we thank you and love you. It's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen.